Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello everybody and welcome along to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and I am, again, as ever, joined by Kev Pogzelski in a lovely blue and white striped Argentina shirt. Kev, hello, it's good to speak to you again. Hi Connor, how are you? I'm okay. I was just thinking, is that the nicest way I've ever introduced you? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get used to it. Don't get used to it. Um, I'm also joined by Vito Doria. Vito, I feel almost obliged to be mean in my introduction to you because I've been nice to one of you already, but I won't be. I'll just say welcome back and it's good to see you again. Yeah, uh, thank you, Connor, and likewise as well. Um, yeah, another pod, another intriguing round of football and uh, also I think it's a quite significant one, especially after what's happened in the last uh, few days. Yeah, 100%. And... Uh, I mean, we're coming to you, we're not breaking this news. Nobody listening is not going to have already heard, but obviously this is our first podcast recording after the passing of Diego Armando Maradona, probably the greatest footballer of all time. And I mean, it's hard to, to look into the future and see a time when he will be overtaken if it's not by someone currently playing and wearing that same shirt. But Kev, I'm I'm gonna go to you as the the resident granddad of of the podcast. Given given your age and not an insult in that way, but you were of course born in the early 1980s, so you will have a better chance of remembering Maradona's playing career as it happened more so than myself or Vito would. So I'll throw it over to you for for the first words from us on, on Maradona's passing. Yeah, well, it was obviously tragic news, um, and you might not, you might, you might not expect that from a from an Englishman, given some of the uh, the sort of media attention it has got in this country. I think I was at an age 
shortly after the 1986 World Cup where I probably couldn't quite understand why this individual sort of <laughs> invokes so much rage from a from a nation of people obviously in the in the wake of the hand of god but it was also at a time where um european if you if not world football was becoming more sort of more uh, sort of well publicized in, in the uk i remember as a kid uh, a friend of mine had like a, a lotto rude hullet football boot bag and you had you could then you could get things like maradona uh shin pads and before long i i had a uh a, a vhs um some listeners won't remember what video uh video tapes were um of maradona that had clearly been produced in the wake of the 1986 world cup and covered all of his time uh, at boca juniors and because you had Four terrestrial channels again. No, nobody faint out there. It was born sometime in this uh, millennium, and I probably watched it, if not once a week, once a fortnight, and wore the tape out because I was just obsessed. I say with this person that most of my country had a a, a great deal of distaste for, but I just loved the balleretic way at which his the ball stuck to his foot and the goals he scored and then and then the history because that video was filled with the the video of him uh to a news reporter in the uh, in the slum area where he grew up in Argentina as a small boy where they were already sort of picking him out as this superstar in the making 15 years old he makes his debut for Argentina's juniors and you know and I went over to Buenos Aires almost as a bit of a pilgrimage to this this person that you know I've bought shirts of and things almost being attacked at one stage for walking through my hometown in an Argentina shirt with some well I'd like to think he was drunk but middle-aged man shouting things about the Falklands at me you know he, he really did invoke such love when you go to Argentina and, and, and you can get a bit of a coldish reception when when they, they think you're english and then as soon as you start talking about maradona you know a smile will come across all of these people's faces he he was such a such a god over there and i took i took i was, I was at my laptop and somebody sent me a message is maradona dead you know because they knew that i'm you know such a big fan and had posters and that on my wall and it's the first time i think for a footballer i've ever had that that hot flush you know, almost that, that chill down your spine because he meant so much to me, which, yeah, it's been really hard the last few days and I'm wearing my 86 replica shirt because I've been wearing most of the replica uh, Maradona memorabilia that I had. You know, and sadly, actually, even in what would have been 2006, 2007, when his his, his health was, again, at a, a low as it, it's been, it's, it's yo-yoed a bit over the last few years, I... Uh, paid what felt like a small fortune to get a signed shirt from a you know an approved um retailer if you like that 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 sells these things because i was i was then really really worried that he wasn't going to be with us uh, very long well we were speaking off air before before we started recording obviously that like what echoing what you were saying about it being strange how I too reacted to the news of Maradona's passing because generally speaking, if I hear of somebody who's usually in the public eye passing away, I don't really bat an eyelid. You know, I think, okay, 
it's somebody that I didn't know. It's obviously sad for their families, but it's quite, maybe it's quite selfish, but it's not something that's going to, to impact on my life. But this is one where it very much stopped me in my, in my tracks. And ever since, we were recording this on Sunday evening and the news came through, I believe it was on Wednesday, ahead of the, those Champions League games. I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And I have found myself quite, quite overcome with, with a sadness that I have to be honest, I didn't expect to be overcome with but I was born in in 1993 right so this is after he's, he's he did everything that he did with with Napoli he had had his his highest moments at the World Cup but that just means that for as long as I've been alive Diego Maradona has been this thing and he has always been this thing that is more than others He's not just been another person. He's not just been a famous footballer. He has been the the very best and more of what a footballer could be expected to be. And even in his post-playing days, remember in, in 2010, 2009, when he, he was the coach of, of the Argentinian national team, he was this larger-than-life figure. He's, he's probably now to a, to a new generation as known for some of his antics off the pitch and I'm not talking about the the darker side of things and saying that as he is for the the hand of god goal the mesmerizing runs and the way he could manipulate a ball and it's it's something that it's quite upsetting and it's quite hard to articulate just how much I already miss knowing that he's he's just existing okay yeah well you've 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 said about his his post-playing career that 2010 qualifying world cup they had a playoff against uruguay um from from the south american qualifying section that that's they they chose to air in the uk you know hardly any south american qualifiers get get aired in the uk i think it was probably on a uh on, on a paid for channel but i stayed up for till 2am to watch it it was played in pouring rain and then when they qualify and he does that slide across the water belly slide. his belly slide across the water and th- again that's your that's a memorable moment that's ex- that's happened in your lifetime in live that you've seen and it just it wow yeah I, i'm i'm probably lost words and a lot of what i probably said earlier uh it just struggles to come across because it's such a huge loss and you know and i feel that loss a bit like you described you feel it as well well we we both come at it from very different from angles i suppose in in terms of age and i'm not trying to have a go at you there again but you being english me being irish maradona very much received in different ways in both of our countries i mean for me even as a kid i loved him because he scored that goal not only did he score that goal but he scored it against england which just elevated it to another level. And Vito, obviously, you've got a different upbringing coming from Australia to parents from all over the place. <laughs> you must have, I suppose, different different ideas of what Maradona is. So I'd be intrigued to, to hear yes. them. Obviously, coming from Australia, where football is not the number one sport and it's still referred to as soccer, especially by the Anglo-Celtic population. So... Um, I found it quite surprising and my father did as well when we saw that his passing actually got a bit of a, 
circulation in the mainstream news. So on news bulletins and on radio, his um, passing actually uh, made the news. So that was quite intriguing. Uh, more than anything, because football is more popular amongst immigrants, especially uh, European immigrants, Southern European immigrants in Australia, um, they followed the game more uh, when uh, Serie A highlights were on Sunday mornings. Uh, that's That was probably the best way that uh, people could watch uh, footage of him play for Napoli. And then uh, the World Cup game, especially, um, well, I think from 74 or 78, that's when Australia had some live coverage. Probably 74 when Australia was in the World Cup for the first time. So that's another way people got exposure to the World Cup. So through there and uh, since 1986, a channel called SBS has had the coverage since. And 1986 was the World Cup uh, Maradona starting. So that was how the population got to know him. Uh, for me personally, I started to know of football in 1996 as an eight-year-old. And then 1998, I followed a bit more. And France it was my first World Cup. My father bought me a magazine, had short reviews on each of the World Cups. And for some reason, I went to the last page, which had the 1994 review. And the first thing they talked about was not Roberto Baggio's penalty miss, but Diego Maradona being banned from the tournament because of drugs and that he left in disgrace. So when I read that, I thought, who is this Maradona and uh, why was it such a big deal for him to be mentioned in the first paragraph? I would watch documentaries about Pelé, who he's been compared to so many times, that he's been billed as the greatest. And Pelé had an extraordinary career, you know, trophies, the goals he scored, etc. So, And he always comes across as more or less a more professional person or more well-mannered person in public. But uh, the enigma around Maradona intrigued me. So I started reading more about him. And then I read about 1986, obviously the Argentina-England quarterfinal in particular and how Argentina went on to win that World Cup. So actually bothering to watch these documentaries and highlights of him, again, even on VHS, I thought, what a player. Then my father started talking to me about his time at Napoli where he performed in... Uh, Napoli side that were average when he started but really elevated in quality and then they had the, the glory period winning trophies domestically and on the continent uh, for many Serie A fans regardless if they're in Italy or around the world he just has that profound effect on people uh, what he did with, with Napoli was incredible Serie A was probably the strongest any league has been ever and he was the number one player there and then so I think to do what he did and the era he did it in was something out of the ordinary and there aren't enough superlatives out there to really do him justice and what he did for Naples as a city as well. As for me watching him as a player, um, I'm just limited to watching either full games on YouTube or other websites or buying DVDs and videos of him, but Watching those games, you see how he moves around, how he dribbles, finds teammates, takes the shots that he take, and it, it was something extraordinary. I think, look, I don't want to turn this too much into this whole Pelé-Maradona debate, but with Pelé, I was discussing it with my friends on Saturday night, actually, that Pelé was probably a more complete physical specimen, and... He did have those great attributes technically, but I think Maradona, despite being so one-footed, 
with that left foot, he could do things that many could just dream of. Just, I think, in terms of technique and football brain, I think he was superior to everyone else. So I think he's a great loss for football in general, Argentina in particular, because he's probably the most iconic person from the country. Probably the other most famous people would be Leo Messi, Juan and Evita Perón and the Formula 1 driver Juan Manuel Fangio. But uh, Maradona, you could say, was still number one in that regard just for fame or infamy. And, uh, um, yeah, I think his legacy will be everlasting. I completely agree. And he's quite a, a funny situation because he must be, and I, this is just a thought that popped into my head this afternoon at some point, but you know the song, Live is Life, by who is it opus or someone mm-hmm. opus. that must be the the only song to ever have been written where the person most famous for it is nothing to do with the musicians themselves because of that incredible warm-up video where diego's basically dancing and there just happens to be a football that he's keeping off the ground the whole time and nobody has nobody has not seen this vita yeah um not a comment about that song, but um, music in uh, general. Um, probably around a year or two after that Argentina-England quarterfinal, a New Order released a song called uh, Touched by the Hand of God. Now, I don't think they wrote it specifically about that moment, but when I think of that chorus or the song name, I immediately think of the hand of God. I don't know if it's because New Order were a uh, English band or because of that expression, but regardless of the lyrics of the whole song and what Bernard Summer is singing that, I just think of Maradona because of that connection. I remember, um, I mean, the hand of God, if we, if we can talk about it briefly, when studying at school here, right, the, the, the leaving certificate exams, which are the, the exams you do before leaving secondary school to move to to university and when you study a language be it French or German I studied French you've got to prepare something so you bring a photograph into your oral exam and speak about that with with your examiner for 15 minutes and I remember taking in a picture of the hand of God and my my examiner happened to be French and seemed to really enjoy (laughs) the fact that I brought that in and we ended up speaking me in in terrible friends and what I had about just how how great a moment that was and I I definitely got a, a grade that was higher than my French ability warranted I think just because the the teacher enjoyed the fact that I had I had chosen that but you, you can see Maradona's legacy if you ever visit Naples I mean there's I've never experienced visiting a place that is so just dominated by a love for someone and it, it's it's all the more striking given that Maradona is not Neapolitan you know he, he effectively is but you can see why because they've won two Scudetti in their in their existence he was there for both of them they've won the UEFA Cup once he was there for that they've won the Coppa Italia a few times he was there for one of them he was there for one of their Super Coppa Italiana he's He's a remarkable, remarkable figure, Kev. Yeah, it's because I've I've been to Naples a couple of times in the last few years for um, trips for Champions League when they've entertained Liverpool, and we've done the whole sort of walk around the the Spanish Quarter to see the murals. But then 
you think you'll go into certain murals and there's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 others sort of up around the city. I think um, through the course of something else that I'm doing with regards to city rivalries, he was almost perfectly placed at Napoli because it is that one club city because um, he's a local, so this isn't kind of related, but I was going to sit down and watch the uh, Totti documentary this weekend that's been showing on, on and, and, but because you've got Lazio and Roma in the same city, you'll probably only find a few Lazio fans that will begrudgingly, you know, you know, tell you just how good Totti was. Whereas in Naples, there isn't that even bitter rivalry to make somebody kind of just, just, just uh, sort of disagree you because they want to, they, they want to be different, you know, difficult because they support the other side of the city where he had, he had the whole of Napoli behind him, you know, that whole city and everybody going out every weekend to, you know, I think that that's, I was going to say it helped him shaped into this sort of godlike figure that he is in the city, but actually probably Diego being Diego, it wouldn't have, but it is interesting in a one person city, like when he brings them that success that he brought on that total. And I was reading some things this week about, you know, how that, how, how Naples partied for a week, you know, almost everybody to a man. And again, it's probably because you've, you know, it's this one, it's this one club city that was starved of success for so long until Maradona turned up and he, and he didn't turn up and instantly bring them this success. He had to work at it. You know, people say about, oh, he, he didn't have the, 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 um, the, the attitude to maybe succeed and, you know, be as driven as, or as restricted, I suppose, as, as modern players are by the, you know, you get less press intrusion and having to sort of say the right thing and toe the party line. But I think he saw Nap- Napoli as the, the time to show everybody exactly what he could do, particularly probably when he came back from the um, the World Cup after succeeding um, with Argentina. Look, we've we've spoken for, for a lot longer than I had expected to, to be honest, 20 minutes about Diego Maradona. We're not breaking any new ground. It's, I, I think we would have done um, a disservice to, to his career if we hadn't opened our first show after his passing but by discussing him. But before concluding, I, I would just... You've got to go and watch the, the Asif Kapadia documentary. It's, it's two hours long. Diego Maradona, simple title. Find it. If you've got to pay for it to watch it, pay for it. I've watched it three times now. And every time I finish it and think, I want to watch that again. It's it's a phenomenally produced piece of work. And it, it, it goes into Diego's life more so than just his playing career. But it does touch on his, his playing career as well. Kev, final words before we move on. Yeah, on that documentary, anybody, any, any listeners out there that have got partners, whatever, that maybe aren't into football. I'd urge you to sit them down. Don't, don't don't go off and watch that documentary on your own because you're a football fan and you want to know a bit about it. Sorry. Watch it with other people because they will be as astonished as non-football fans um, yeah, by that documentary. I'd agree with that. My mum my actually asked me because I was speaking to my dad about Maradona and this documentary and my mum said, would I like it? And my response was, I don't think so, but maybe still watch it <laughs> because I think it's... It is something that is quite important to watch. But anyway, look, on, on to the weekend's 
football. It's only right to start with the the only place to start at the soon-to-be-named Stadio Diego Armando Maradona Napoli in memory of, of the great man thumped Roma 4-0 wearing specially designed kits. And these, these kits, I was quite shocked to see. They had been designed a year ago and they were always going to be worn. Maybe not today, but they were always going to be worn in the style of an Argentina kit, almost barring the socks as Kev will be quick to point out, I'm sure. Napoli took to the pitch and they said that they had hoped Diego would have had the chance to see them wear the shirts. Obviously, he didn't, but Vito, very much a performance that Maradona would have approved of. They they beat Roma, who had been previously unbeaten 4-0, and Napoli continue what has been an impressive start to this Serie A season. It's a big statement, but... Um... I will say that um, I think this was a performance that was worthy of Maradona and I think it was a great uh, tribute uh, to him. Um, to me, they really lifted up a gear, especially in the second half. Um, I think uh, this was a great way to sort of mark his memory as well, not just with the tributes in all the other Serie R games, the minute silence and the... Adios Diego and also having 1960 to infinity on the screens or on the television screens. So lots of homages. But the performance, I think, uh, overall was fantastic. They just um, looked galvanized. And um, I think it was very fitting that Insigne, Lorenzo Insigne, was the one that laid the foundations for this victory. He's the main creative spark of the team. He's the captain now. Scored a free kick that um, I'm sure Maradona himself would have uh, admired. And the second goal was a fantastic team move, but that included Insigne making an excellent solo run to set up Fabian Ruiz. And he had a bit of involvement in the fourth goal, which uh, Matteo Politano scored to seal the win. So it was uh, yeah, definitely a great scoreline for them to win and the performance was great. And it was a comprehensive one against the Roma side that was playing so well previously. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, in- interestingly, I thought that the uh, the Politano goal was was more uh, fitting finishing the game the way he sort of jinked past the defenders, rounded the goalkeeper and managed to keep his keep his uh, balance wonderfully to, to slot it home. Very uh, Maradona-esque. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. But so many of them were, right? The, the Fabian strike from the edge of the box. Mario Rui with that outrageous backheeled Zlatan Maradona type flick to start that move off. It, the Insignia free kick itself. But yeah, I, I completely agree with Vito that it was fitting that Insigne opened the scoring. I mean, if that 10 shirt was available for a player to wear, Insigne would be the one wearing it at Napoli. So it, it was good to see. But big win, statement win. And I guess it's it's something that Napoli will be looking to, to build on again because they've been a bit jumpy at home recently in particular. But it looks like they've got newfound motivation, which you could very much understand. Um, I want to talk, Kev, about Matteo Politano because he has been remarkably good for the Parthenope this season. And he's someone who, who I don't want to do this, but Antonio Conte couldn't find a place for at Inter. No, it it, it looked like the, the wrong move for him at, at Inter. And when you look at the form he's had um, the start of this season... It's you know something I'll probably bang about, bang on about uh, with various players that they stick around too long when it maybe isn't going right, and, and you know that's credit to some when they want to you know try and turn things around if the move hasn't worked out for them, and you know we'd be um, making assumptions that it's to do with how he was being played uh, by Conte, but he's gone down to Napoli, uh, finding a bit of form, so he took that last goal brilliantly well. And uh, and yeah, more of it, I think, because um, Goodwill forced his way back into the national side come uh, the Euros if they take place. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, big if, that one. But look at Napoli, and every time I watched them recently, Kaladu Koulibaly just, he's so good, Vito, and I know everybody knows this, but some of the guy's touches are just astonishing. What I've found incredible in the last few games is that he's been able to make more forward um, advances than usual. He used to do it a fair bit in the past, but uh, the way he advances from his central defensive position, it's like he's playing like, um, like a left winger at times. It's just like... Or even one of those... Uh, offensive-minded liberos of the 1970s that would just start in defence, but they would move forward like a attacking midfielder. So it's uh, yeah, it's uh, quite incredible to see the way he moves, and he still doesn't get exposed at the back, which I think should also say a lot about Napoli's tactics too. That you know, whenever they 
you know, and they have conceded. You can't really say it's because Koulibaly went too far forward. In some cases, it's more the the other guys have the individual defensive issues. But uh, for such a tall guy, he does have excellent ball control and he uses the ball wisely. So I think that's a big plus for a defender like him. And he's really been like a really all-round type of defender, rather complete defender, to be honest. Kev, I know you've probably got a horse in this race with what I'm about to say, but Virgil van Dijk, phenomenally good technical defender, but Koulibaly could stake a claim to be the best defender with his feet in the world. Yeah, I would... Um, yeah, again, I hope I'm not being biased. I would... I would put I would put Van Dyke slightly um ahead of him. And actually that that's on comparison with watching them play almost against each other. So in this in the same game when uh, Napoli played Liverpool the last couple of seasons. There's not a lot in it. Um and I, I you know I think there was there, there well there's always transfer rumors about uh Koulibaly being a target um for Liverpool. And you just think, wow if that came off how well, not at the moment because Van Dijk's injured. Um, but yeah, I think I. Uh, I was going to say I'd take either, but Van Dijk just edges it for me. But but also <laughs> I suppose you've got. Uh, I think Koulibaly's about three three years older than Van Dijk. You know when when people talk, to, I think Aurelio uh, Aurelio De Laurentiis has always talked to him about like sixty sixty five million pound bracket, but uh, I think he's. He's probably left it too late to to go for that fee if he goes at all now. And again, why would you leave unless you're going somewhere for guaranteed titles? You know, he's French speaking. Um, so PSG might come in with a stupid offer. But, yeah, he's only 29, right? Oh, is he? So Sorry, I thought he was 30. Got, he's got a bit, well, I mean, 30 next birthday. I don't know when that is. Wow, now I'm being sorry. He's probably got about five good years in him for a centre-back. And who knows? I mean, look at Chiellini. I don't know what age Chiellini is, but he seems 44. So I I might have done him a great disservice there, to be honest. Well, I probably don't know how old he is because Vito's now telling me that they're both the same age, Van Dijk and uh, (laughs) Calabar. This is because when you get to my age, you start lying about your age, Vito. <laughs> to be fair, you're always honest when I tweet the number 39 on Twitter as owning up and saying that that is your own. Uh, but no, Kudabali, everyone knows how great he is. It's not going to come as a surprise to anyone. What has come as a surprise to a lot of people this season, though, is how great AC Milan are. Because, my God, Vito, it was only Fiorentina. Sorry, Viola fans, but. It was only Fiorentina, but they got the job done 2-0. They're still top of the league, and they're five points clear, Visa. It's a staggering thought, and I reckon at the start of this calendar year, I don't think even the most uh, positive of Rossoneri fans would have been thinking of this kind of situation. Um, It's another important win, especially with uh, Ibrahimovic not being available. And um, although Frank Kessie did miss a penalty, I think in general he was uh, very important. Uh, getting that flick on for Romagnoli to score the first goal and uh, scoring the first penalty that Rossoneri got. 
and he probably should have added another goal in open play um, in the second half, but his shot went wide. So, yeah, important win, and uh, I think Cassie, once again, I think is becoming a very vital player for them. Completely agree. Uh, we've spoken about him a couple of times this season in the last month, really, as well, and he's he's very much proving himself to be the player that, that Milan signed him to be, and that fee now, I think it was about twenty-five million. It looks all right, doesn't it? There, were, there was a time when it looked like they might have been tricked by by Gasparini, but no, it looks like that money was worth spending. But Kev, th- what I want to talk about is nothing to do with on the pitch because we need to talk about on the bench, where Daniele Bonera has has found a role for himself at Milan because obviously. The, the back end of his playing days with, with the Rossoneri, the man was ridiculed and by a lot of people on this podcast as well, might I add, but rightly so. I mean, he was dreadful, but he's got a 100% record on the bench. Hashtag purely out. Well, um, <laughs> he did spend a fair amount of time on the bench towards the, uh, the the end of his playing <laughs> career. So maybe he's just extremely well used to um, to being on the Milan bench. So uh, I don't know if they'll be forcing Pioli out. I don't know. I don't know if they had the uh, the drone out at San Siro as they've had at the training ground, apparently, to, to relay things back to uh, Stefano Pioli. But um, actually on that, mm. on the drone, right? People keep talking about this as if it's groundbreaking technology, as if Milan are the only people with drones. This is common practice as far as I know, well, right? I mean, Mancini did it with Italy as well. You know, see, this is a thing. So I know, well, actually Vito might have a, a view on this. I've seen drones that are used as... Um, to keep the sharks away from people on the beaches of Australia. I think they hover, <laughs> they hover and then they let off a horn. And, and I think then the sharks sort of disperse out into the wider ocean. Now, I want the Milan drone to be hovering over the players and then have Pioli's voice, you know, going, Kessie, run more. <laughs> Ebra, <laughs> fewer headers. I don't know, you know, whatever to make training slightly more interesting. Um, but yeah, it's it's hardly groundbreaking. And even before a drone, you'd imagine they they probably have 15, 20 cameras set up to allow him to to keep an eye on what, what's going on. But you know Do you think people have a misunderstanding of what drones are and what they do? Because I've I've got a neighbour, right? And I've I've heard this story where they in in my town over the last nine months or so, there's there have been people going around stealing dogs. To, to then sell them on for an enormous profit. And what they've been doing is using drones to look into people's gardens. And my, my dad told me this story where he was out chatting to one of the neighbours and he was saying, oh, they're, they're using drones now to, to look into the gardens and get the dogs. And the, the neighbour in question's wife then responded with saying, oh my God, and the drone is coming and like picking the dogs up. <laughs> it just... It, it tickled me. It really, really tickled me, Kev. Okay, so we, I know Maradona was football, so we don't want to spend too much time on this pod talking about <laughs> non-football stuff. But while we were in uh, lockdown in May or June or whatever, I was laying in the garden, as I did on occasion, with my laptop, and a drone came over. <laughs> and then I realised 
that it was two houses down. There was some people putting a new roof on the the house, and they were taking the drone around to show the person who'd fixed, you know, whose roof they'd fixed, what the roof looked like. And I thought, well, that's great, but why? If if you fix my roof, as long as it's not leaking, I don't care what it looks like. It could be green, it could be yellow, it could be pink and blue stripes. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, off maybe off drones. Bizarre no, just use. a little bit. Next <laughs> next week, vetoes bizarre use of drone. <laughs> yeah, the the Milan fans are going to be screaming. Right, we're five points clear, and you're talking about your neighbours. But the veto, all credit to them. I mean, what else can we say? We've we've praised them every week this season. They're still unbeaten, and now there aren't the same number of unbeaten teams. So we can't hold that against them. But you are unbeaten. Yeah, but they seem to be slipping the Bianconeri. I mean. We'll probably talk about them later, but they're starting to get draws against, uh, you know, with all due respect, so-called weaker opponents. And uh, they were the kind of games that they would scrape through, especially when uh, Massimiliano Allegri was the coach. But uh, Milan, even when uh, with Pioli out due to COVID, um, they're still registering the victories. And uh, to stay at the top... uh, you got to be getting the results regardless if you play well or not. And uh, they're definitely collecting the wins. So it's very fundamental for them. And uh, hopefully for their sake, uh, it doesn't go astray. That they're able to sustain this momentum, especially with uh, uh, Zlatan not expected to be back soon. Even, even Pirlo could have coached Milan to a victory against Fiorentina. It was a non-contest <laughs> for most of the game. <laughs> Oh, it was terrible. What have you got against Pirlo? Well, only because Vito brought in Juve. But uh, I must, you know, I I mused on Twitter that Fiorentina Fiorentina might be, you know, the team to get get a win over Milan. And I think I was just convinced after watching a Serie A preview show before I put that tweet out. And then uh, I realised that... um, Ibrahimovic was missing, so I kind of wanted Milan to win. So there was never this narrative that they'd only, you know, they'd lose because he was out. But uh, yeah, Fiorentina are a funny one, right? Because obviously it's it's gonna take more than ten days or however long it's been for Prandelli to make any noticeable changes. He's changed the setup, but I mean. They are just a bad team. They, they are, and they have been for quite a while now. And Vito, I, this current crop of players, I know Chiesa left, but they shouldn't be this bad. Or is it just that the club are really good with, with, <laughs> with social media, with their reputation? Have we all been tricked into expecting more from Fiorentina? Is this just the level they should be at? Or... Do the players need to really, really take accountability for what's happening? I think the hysteria around the club since Rocco Comiso has been the president has been elevated significantly. But um, I do think that the players as well need to start uh, pulling their socks up and uh, be more consistent too. The choices in coaches over the last few years haven't been that great either. 
And although, you know, if they do go for Maurizio Sari or Luciano Spalletti next season, I'd like to think that they would be able to provide more solutions. But uh, I can't help but feel that maybe it's something within the club. It's uh, something in the dressing room in particular that there's this mentality that, you know, mid-table or less is our level and uh, there's not enough uh, belief in themselves that they can do so much more. So I think with bringing Prandelli back, he's already had two losses. Um, and at this stage, it's hard to see where he's really going to inspire the team, how his ideas are going to reshape this Fiorentina side for the better, because at the moment, they're just... Uh, limping along to be honest well Vito do you want me to tell you where they'll get their their next um uplifting moment guess who they're playing next week Genoa they are playing Genoa <laughs> so there you go three points in the bag if they don't get it there Prandelli out come so out the whole lot of them out but they, they've got after that Genoa game they'll they play in this order, Atalanta away, Sassuolo at home, Verona at home, Juventus away, then Bologna and Lazio. It's not getting any easier for them. But mark my words, they're getting three points against Genoa, three points against Atalanta, and then things will go very swiftly downhill again. Kev, that's who I want to talk to. You, you mentioned Pirlo, so we'll go to Juve next. They, they drew again. I mean, they they had already drawn this season with with Roma, with Crotone, with Verona, with everybody, with Lazio. Now they've added Benevento to that list, and this is a game wherein they were leading, which doesn't bode too well. You look at the table; you see them sitting in fourth with four wins to their name, but really only. Three of those wins were actually earned, and they've drawn more games with five than they've won. What's going on? Yeah, I um, I, I had to watch this. Uh, I, I, well, I think <laughs> I think we know who does the scheduling for the Forza Italia footballs, uh, games. Um, but I've done some. I hope you're not pointing fingers at me there. Well, it's not me. No, it's not. It's not Connor, everybody. But um, I've done something to upset them because I also had to watch Juve uh, versus Ferenc Varos in uh, midweek, and and it was it was very similar. Um, created very little. If it wasn't for a wonderful pass from Chiesa that Morata finished very well, they didn't really look like scoring. Although they 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 were dominant in the first half. You know, um, Benevento equalised. Um, right on the end of the first period, and probably deserved it just from the from the amount that they 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 tried to push forward on on Juve after going behind because they probably could have sat it out for a little bit longer. But it, there was a contrast between this and the game in midweek, where Juve were a little bit gun ho against Ferenc Varos, and they were getting picked off in the space but again because they were proactive with a, with a, with attacking them. And this time you had Quadrado, who was strangely subdued because he often plays like a winger. And then you have Fran Botter at left back, who was nervy probably because he's only played sort of half a dozen games this season anyway. But it said to me that Pirlo has changed, even within a couple of days, changed his tactics to approach 
what are on paper weaker opposition and that he still doesn't quite know what sort of playing style he's trying to instill there. And it, I, I think it will cost, cost them the league and it's probably what people expected to cost them the league last season as they were trying to change playing style to suit Maurizio Sarri. And it could even be an extension of that, that there's a, you know, they were a little bit disjointed at times last year. They weren't as dominant as what we know them to be. And while they're going through this transition, um, they, they're going to have to be careful that they don't lose Champions League football for next season. Do you think that's at risk? I think it is with how bunched, well, a lot of the table is really. You've got these sort of little blocks of teams. You know, Milan now are sort of pulling away. But you look at how how well Roma have played this season. I know they, they got sort of well beat by Napoli. But it's so condensed in there that you would say that on form, both those sides are better than Juve. Napoli and uh, Roma are better than Juve this year. And we're, we're a quarter of the way in now. Almost. Wow. Yeah. Depending how you're judging it. Yeah, no, we are. We are. You're you're correct in that. Some people say we, ten. We, I don't know. No, I mean we can't be a, a quarter of of thirty eight. So we'll give it to you. It's as close as you could possibly get. Um, Vito, it doesn't look too good for Juve, but I mean this season. I keep saying it. We don't know what's going to be enough, but I think we could safely say it's it's not what they're showing so far. Three wins from. Eight games. Yeah, it's not a bright start for Juventus, and uh, I do see a little bit of patches or remnants of uh, when they were struggling near mid-table under both Ciro Ferrara and uh, and uh, sorry uh, Luigi Donneri. You had though had a few good players in that time, and then some other players. You wondered if they were good enough or why they were there in the first place. I think here, although there are still some outstanding footballers, uh, there are other players where you really wonder why are they still at Juventus or should they even be on the books anymore. I'm not going to write off Juve just yet, and I think especially based on the fact that they've won the last nine Serie A titles, it's, uh, I think it'd be still risky to sort of write them off out of the title challenge. But the way they've started and the way everyone else has been, it's... Uh, potentially going to be one of the most competitive seasons in years. So uh, I think uh, Juventus, especially when Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't play, they're going to be in for a struggle. And uh, at the moment, it doesn't look like there's uh, too much of a sign as yet that they'll keep on uh, uh, recovering their form and they'll keep on playing better. There's, uh, I just think even in particular... If we look at the midfield, uh, I'm not convinced by the whole setup. Not just the personnel used, but the way Pirlo places them on the pitch. Juve mm, fans will be screaming, but there was that year where they started abysmally a couple, a few years back, and they were sitting as low as I think it was twelfth after eight games. But the the difference is then there wasn't an outstanding candidate, whereas this season there are probably three. 
if not four candidates for the Scudetto. So I do think they'll have a harder time getting back into things for that reason. Inter probably pulled off the shock of the round, though, which says a lot given that Benevento drew against Juve and Verona beat Atalanta. But Inter beat Sassuolo 3-0. And they did so, Kev, without actually doing all that much that well. They, they were kind of helped by... by um, Vlad Kirikesh, who did his very best to destroy his own team's chances in the first 15 minutes before going off injured after half an hour. Yeah, I think that 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 helped Inter immensely. They were ahead after four minutes. Um, I think it was 15 minutes they were 2-0 up. And it allowed them to play with an assurance that the result was in the bag. You know, not, not dominance. You know, they didn't dominate possession. But you could just see the confidence that the players had, knowing that they had that cushion. For all that sort of Sassuolo threw at them, they just they could play almost knowing that they weren't going to go in at half time and have Conti probably, you know, shouting and berating them for, for things they've done wrong. And um obviously you're not going to get that every week, but if they can hopefully build on that, um they're probably gonna play a second string in Europe this week being all but out of the um out of Europe because I don't think they'll want to fall into the Europa League as well as they did in it last season. Mm, entertain me here, Vito. I, I think this win is probably a bad thing for Inter in the long run because Gagliardini scored, Vidal played well. Conte's gonna feel justified in continually selecting them. Yeah, true. It they're the kind of guys that pretty much uh, epitomise Conte's way of coaching for better and for worse. Uh, he likes those guys who are sort of going to be, you know, grafters. They're going to just, you know, grind it out, work hard. And uh, on a technical level, they're not particularly impressive, especially Gagliardini. Although there was one build-up where Inter could have made it 4 nil. And a bit like Mario Rui in the Napoli game, he did one of those sort of uh, backheel passes in the air as well, which was uh, quite staggering. But yeah, with Inter, especially under Antonio Conte, I think there's just too much emphasis on these foot soldiers or workhorses. And in the long term, I think that could possibly backfire. So I think this is a good result for them. But... I think it's important to have the best uh, players available. And the problem with Gagliardini and Vidal in particular is that uh, they haven't offered enough consistency. Kev, Lazio or Atalanta? Uh, Atalanta, because uh, I missed Lazio. Uh, Okay, fair enough. Well, look, Atalanta played Verona and for 50 minutes, Atalanta played very, very well, just didn't score. Verona punished them because they're a good team who take the chances that fall their way. And Ivan Juric, he and his side overtook Atalanta in the table. They're working miracles again this season. Yeah, I'm glad you said again because uh, I went to the uh, Mark Antony... Antonio Bentegoldi, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Last season. And um, although they lost Amrabat to Fiorentina... He's probably wishing he stayed in Verona. Um, I was, I was, I was just a little worried coming on to tonight because it was Atalanta that they played. 
and I thought you'd be down and you'd 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 be disappointed with how Atalanta failed to break them down. But actually, I see it. I well, I saw it as a really really good display from Verona. We know they've got a tremendous defensive record um, this season in Syria, and they took their chances. Albeit the first was probably from a a penalty that could have been avoided, um, but it was a a lovely move for the second. And and you you do you have to praise them as opposed to looking at looking at it from the other angle, which would be Atalanta have been you know Champions League qualification places the last couple of years and couldn't make the break for it at home after coming off a, a wonderful result at Anfield. Um, but yeah, I think all praise to Verona as opposed to be being too disparaging of of Atalanta because. I saw something the other day about the, the creation of chances. And if it provided you're still creating the same number of chances and eventually the goals should or will come. So um, don't be too bad about Atlanta, but certainly really positive from Verona's perspective. Uh, uh, Verona were clinical and they took their chances. And uh, I want to talk specifically about the man who's been involved in both goals, Matias Akanyi. He was the one that earned the penalty, which uh, Miguel Veloso converted. And he managed to run on to the through ball to score the second and seal the win. Um, Roberto Mancini actually called him up for the last Italy squad. So I think it goes to show that with the start he's had to the season, that uh, he's been in impressive form. And whenever I've seen Zakani play, he looks like quite a... Interesting player to watch. Uh, he's very good technically. He's got decent pace. And uh, I think uh, Verona really need that uh, extra flair up front because they are best known for the defensive solidarity. Having Zakani there does uh, add a bit more livelihood and spark to the attacking forays. I won't disagree with you there, Vito. But if that you watch that second goal, Veloso, he... He he checks his pass because the wide midfielder is offside, and he spots that run. It was a wonderful run, but if he if he plays the ball when he plays it, probably the winger goes for it and it's offside. Where he checks it because he knows that the the Zakanyi won't get there either if he delivers it too early. But yeah, I, brilliant move. Yeah, I was personally hoping he would play it because Collie had gone offside. And when he played it, I was like, oh, go on, Colley, do, do Atalanta a favour, touch it. But no, he didn't. And, but no, I, I think you're exactly right, Kev, on all counts. Verona deserve enormous credit. You said Amrabat left, but so did Rachmani and Kumbula. You know, they were three oh, yeah. integral players to that team last season. And, I mean, Juric is working magic. I think they, they very much are what Atalanta were in Gasp's first season, where they were difficult to break down and they were getting results and that's what Verona are doing now and I think that is enormous praise and Juric I mean he, he learned a lot under Gasparini so the future is very much bright as long as they can keep him there from an Atalanta perspective as well yeah the chances are still being made so it's just an issue with with the forwards not really firing Muriel missed a chance Zapata missed a few Lammers as well had a couple but yeah They'll, they'll get back to being themselves. I've no real doubt about it. What I was most surprised by maybe this weekend, Vita, was that Udinese not only won, but they scored three goals in one match. They beat Lazio. What on earth happened here? Oh, it's simply mind-boggling because 
All the nurses are starting to have a few COVID-19 cases themselves. Um, uh, the coach, Luca Gotti, was not on the bench. And they weren't playing with their two preferred strikers, Stefano Kaka and Kevin Lasagna. They had Ignacio Pusetto and um, Fernando Forestieri up front. Yet, they still went to Lazio and uh, got the win. So, um, a surprising result to say the least. And also, it makes me wonder, you know, should they bring back Kevin Lasagna and Stefano Hokaka if uh, Forestieri and uh, and uh, Pusetto are doing well? They had a bit more mobility and uh, technical ability up front. So, maybe it's a positive problem the Friolani can have going forward. I've just realised that this is the same Forestieri that was at Watford, of course it is, and also Sheffield Wednesday. And now he's tearing it up against... Lazio, it's mad. I, I don't think... I think this is one of those, just those results where you can't explain it. It's something that happens sometimes. Kev, or am I being too kind on Lazio? No, I think it is, it's one of those. Um, obviously, they're, they're on the back of, of doing really well in the Champions League at the moment. You know, better than probably they... Well, probably what they hoped for, let's say. Um, but when you've got the likes of... Um, Aslani, isn't it, that popped up with the long-range effort. The the player, Food Nazi, who only ever seems to get booked every time I watch him, <laughs> um, can do something else and sort of pull one of them out. Um, yeah, I think they'll just, they'll brush it off, you would think, and, and just put it down as one of those, one of those days at the office. Another thing to um, consider too is that, uh, we think of how astonishing this result is, but the only thing I could say that's probably not too astonishing is the fact that Rodrigo de Paul is still an important part of the play. Uh, whenever Udinese attack in any game, we'll try to create um, an offensive movement. He seems to be the one that's at the heart of it. Um, Udinese in general don't play with many flair players. Uh, the football they play is nowhere near as exciting as they were, say, in the 2000s with Pasquale Marino as coach or the early 2010s when Francesco Guidolin was in charge. But uh, Paul is somehow still with the Zebrette. And, um, you know, regardless of how well or how poor the team is, he's someone that really makes them tick when things go well. Yeah, you've got to think that he's off. When in in the winter in the summer he's got to be he tried to leave to go to Leeds last summer I mean he was quite public in saying I hope so when asked about a potential move to Allen Road but yeah when he leaves you just wonder where the chances will come from and it'll return to being what we've seen from them even with him in the team just desperately hoping to not concede and then see if you can nick one um, elsewhere, Cagliari and Spezia played out a 2-2 draw. I want to talk a little bit more about Spezia, but this time we are a little bit short of time and they're probably going to beat Lazio next weekend. So we'll talk about them then. And then elsewhere, Bologna beat Crotone 1-0. Bologna though, Kev, they had conceded a goal in the last 41 consecutive matches. They would have equaled the all-time worst record in Europe's top five leagues, which is held by Bordeaux. It was 42. 
And what do they do? They go and keep a bloody clean sheet. I was fuming about this. I think um, they, they've had a bit of luck there with the scheduling, the fact that they came up against Crotone, who um, are obviously struggling a little bit this year still with just <laughs> right, the two points. Kev, 41 matches. They've played against some dreadful teams. In the, that's, that's more than a season. It is 41 a, matches. They played Spal in that. It is astonishing. I think I saw it last week, so I think I thought it was... I must have seen it when it was... That made it 41, because I think I had it as a higher number this week. But... <sighs> that, that is... <laughs> Is is Mihailovic getting away with it? Well, actually, you can't be conceding that well, many goals. Actually, you, that might be the one caveat that although he was a defender in his playing days, he was, he you know, and obviously he was uh, quite the robust defender in his playing days. He was still rather attacking, so you know maybe uh, a laissez-faire attitude towards uh, conceding is what's got them into this. Uh, well, got them into this situation that they've managed to avoid breaking a record. I'd accept it if they were like Sassuolo, right? If Bologna played this swashbuckling, attacking, amazing to watch style, but they don't. So why? Why can't they keep a clean sheet? I know they have, so it's the wrong time to talk about it. And they've got Inter next week, which will be interesting. So let's see if Bologna against Inter and Roma in their next two games, if they can keep a couple more clean sheets. Um, if they do, then we'll give Mihailovic some praise. But at the moment, I personally think he is getting away with it. I don't think people are pointing enough fingers at what he's doing at Bologna. But then on a, on a serious note, do you think that's that's a little bit coming on the back of the illness and... Yeah, 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 absolutely is. And I do, on a serious note, think he deserves a little bit of slack given what he's been been through. But I just think people should be maybe looking at Bologna's mm-hmm. defensive record and asking some more questions. And I realise there's an irony in that given we're the people who should be asking those mm-hmm. questions, right? But look, that is all of the Serie A that we're going to discuss because there are two games to be played on Monday evening. Torino hosts Sampdoria, let's be honest. Who wants to watch that? And Genoa hosts Parma, let's be honest. Even fewer people want to watch that, but I probably will because I'm a wrong one. And yeah, there we go. Bank on there being less than 1.5 goals on that one, guys, because it's not going to be good. It's time for the game. Yeah. It's time for the game. Um, as is the trend, I'm scrambling for pen and paper because I've forgotten the scores again. I believe, did I win last week? You won yeah. last week, so I, I go first this week. So the scores are Kev 3, Vito 3 and Connor 3? 2. No. Vito 2. Yeah. So I don't know. How it's many three, you got, three, Vito? 3, 3, 2. You, you two are level on yeah, three. I really got. Right. Yeah. Okay. I believe right. I go so first. So we've got... Huh? I believe I'll go first. <laughs> you do, yeah, because you were first last week and there yeah. was no winner, so you stay first. Yeah. Um, Good eye. Is that true? I don't well, know. I, I, I believe that was the precedent set last time you won and Vito went first because he'd won the week before that. Okay, fair enough. Well, not, I'll trust not you. Timer set, for, timer set for two and a half minutes, everybody. If you don't know the game, just switch off now. If you do know the game and you're still listening, you're a wrong one. 
Uh, Kev, your two minutes, two and a half minutes start now. Is it Bruno Alves? <laughs> it's not. It's not Bruno Alves. He he turned thirty nine this week. I thought it might be him. Veto over to you. <laughs> your turn, Veto, mate. Your turn. Uh, yeah, I got some laughing. Okay, is this by Italian? He is not Italian. No. Does he play in Northern Italy? He does play in Northern Italy. Yes. Is it a midfielder? Um. Yeah, he's a midfielder. Could he also be classed That's as a That's a controversial answer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for getting that out of the way. <laughs> does he play in Milan? He doesn't play... I guess you mean in the city. Yes, of, city of, of Milan, Milan yes. there, right? Yeah, no, he doesn't play in that city. Okay. Okay, is his club from the Emilia-Romagna region? He does not play in Emilia-Romagna. Does he play in the Turin city? He doesn't play in Turin or the region Piemonte, I guess, no. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay, is it an Atalanta player? <laughs> it is an Atalanta player, yes. Is it Papu yeah, Gomez? It yeah, it's Papu Gomez. Um, congratulations, Vito. Look, I know that Papu Gomez is, is quite an obvious player, but there's, there's logic in this. One, he's an Argentinian number 10. thought it was apt this week. <laughs> and It was Bruno two, Alves' birthday. Yeah, it was Bruno Alves' birthday, and I, I want to take a moment on behalf of everyone at ForzaItalianFootball.com, past and present, everyone that has ever had any association with, with the website, would like to wish Big Bruno the happiest of birthdays imaginable. Big man, you have earned anything you want from, yeah, just have a fantastic week Bruno we, we all adore you I'm the only one brave enough to say it Kev <laughs> do you want to extend your wishes to Bruno no I think if he wants any gift this uh, this birthday it should be a restraining order against you we live in the same city I've never I've never done him wrong why have you why have you had to say that well you're offering him whatever he likes for his birthday no, uh, I just said he, he deserves the best I have an image of a are you uh, going to disagree uh, with that? Because uh, uh, he'll uh, come and find pasty you. pasty-bodied Irishman turn up in Speedos or something uh, at his window late at night. <laughs> Say goodbye, Kev. Ciao, ciao, everybody. Say ciao, Vita. Ciao. And it's goodbye from me. Ciao for now, guys. Speak to you soon.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 